Welcome to the Lisa Wexler Show podcast. Think of it like a magazine or a box of chocolates. You never know what you'll get. From politics to pop culture, healthcare to legal issues, it's all here. And my behind-the-wheel chats are personal observations created especially for you on podcast only. Enjoy. Life is full of awesome what-ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at UH1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. And joining us now is Dr. Melissa Santos, who actually is the division head of pediatric psychology at the Connecticut Children's Specialty Group. She has a subspecialty as well as the clinical director of the Obesity Center. Uh, And she is also the Associate Professor of Pediatrics and the Associate Chair for Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion at the UConn School of Medicine. So she has many different titles, many different leadership positions uh, with a distinguished background with fellowships and faculty appointments. And I asked her to join us today. She's a psychologist with a PhD because she was mentioned in a recent, very troubling piece by Connecticut Public Radio about how while Congress is busy trying, trying to create national solutions for this problem of social media bullying, and we have had Senator Richard Blumenthal on our show many times on this subject, many times. In fact, on the ground, our school systems can't wait and they're trying to craft solutions of their own. Dr. Santos, welcome to the Lisa Wexler Show today. Hello. Hi. Hello. Good morning. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. It's a pleasure. So let me just start with this article, and then I want to let you go to where you need to go. But this article um, was all about how, in particular, in one Hartford school, the bullying had gotten so terrible that one young woman who... And and the start of this, it must be mentioned, did not start with social media bullying. It started with the fact, apparently, with one particular youth woman who was raped, right? Right? Dr. Santos, Mm -hmm. she was raped. Yep. And then the rape was not only bad enough, but then she was victimized as the victim of the rape with all kind of horrible stuff thrown at her, which we have to get into the psychology of that. You're the pediatric psychologist. You have to help me with that. And then that turned into a downward spiral, and eventually she became hooked on drugs, and eventually she bought a drug online, and it was fentanyl, and she died. And, mm-hmm. and it's just the most horrible story. So yeah. there, was, there were so many inflection points there where you say, well, what went wrong this, and what went wrong that, and, and could it have been a turned around here or there? But you're the expert in this. When you look at that trajectory of that poor young woman's life, they call her Becca in the piece. What, what do you say? What, what are your thoughts about this? 
It's so tough, and it's such a horrible story, and it mimics a lot of what we hear from kids. So we know that the recent statistics say that about one in four, one in five kids between the ages of 12 to 18 are bullied during the school year. And that's a trend that we've seen going up over the last few years. One of the things that's made bullying a little bit more challenging is like when I went to school and maybe when others went to school, there weren't an opportunity to be bullied constantly. We didn't have our phones with us constantly. We didn't have phones with us constantly. We didn't have the all the different avenues to be teased and bullied and harassed that are available now, unfortunately, to kids. And so oftentimes what we hear from kids is that it's just hard to turn it off because you get it when you go to school. You get it when you're walking to school. Then you have your, your phone, which oftentimes can be a great support for kids. But now you're getting teased and harassed from there as well, and it's just nonstop, and the ability just to turn it off isn't there for a lot of our kids. And the school systems are saying that while they are very often sort of the repository or the center of what do we do about it, 80% Mm -hmm. of this doesn't even happen during school hours, not to mention on school campuses. Most of this is not happening anything to do with the traditional role of school, and yet school is the center for the social activity, so the schools very often are the center of help. What do we do, and let's find some solutions. It is because we know, you know, that's where our kids are spending a large part of their time as well and where we can offer opportunities to really help kids and really understand the the impact of bullying and oftentimes what leads to people um, to resort to bullying. So we know from recent studies that those kids that are um, teased or bullied at school have a three times higher rate of, of having depression um, and higher rates of anxiety than kids that aren't teased and bullied. But we also know that those kids that are doing the teasing and the bullying, they have a nearly two times higher rate of depression and anxiety than kids that aren't bullying along the way. And so we know we have an opportunity to really talk about emotional health in kids in a way that we haven't before to really help address the the problem of bullying and teasing in so many different directions. I have to ask you something, uh, Dr. Santos. I got to ask you this. Uh, A a kid is raped, right? A a young woman is raped. And and apparently it's uncontrovertible. She was raped. Mm -hmm. How does that translate into a piling on to blaming her? Like what, what, what is that piece? You know, it's so hard, but we oftentimes know that those kids that are resorting to teasing or bullying others oftentimes have other things going on for them that perhaps they don't feel like people are hearing them or that they don't have a voice or perhaps their own struggles with maybe things that have occurred to them haven't been addressed. And so we know it's so hard because I don't know about you, but I would willingly not go back and be a child again or relive my high school years, no. and particularly not nowadays at all. Not and I today. Think I'm, so, so, I'm so glad yeah. that I grew up without a cell phone. I can't even begin to tell you. Yeah. Yes, ma'am. Me, me as well. Um, but I think that there's just so much pressure now more on kids. And so I want to want to say it's inevitable that we would see someone not believe or take that as an opportunity to hurt another classmate. But sometimes when we're struggling, it's just it may come out that way. You know, it's sort of like writ on large, the people that decided not to believe the parents uh, you know, that decided to believe the hoax nonsense of Alex Jones, you wonder, well, why would you choose to believe that? I hear what you're saying. There are just some very sick people out there too, though. They will, they will take an opportunity when someone is down and they will step on them. Yeah, and we know particularly with our, with our teenagers um, and particularly our teenage girls during the pandemic, we saw skyrockets of their rates of depression and anxiety and their symptoms. I mean, at one point, 60% of teenage girls were reporting symptoms of hopelessness 
um, and anxiety, which we know is so much larger than it was prior to the pandemic. And this isolation, the you know all the things that sort of came with it, really took a toll on our kids and particularly our girls. So, Dr. Santos, you're in the thick of this. You're at Pediatric Psychology. You're practicing in a time where you say, unfortunately, it's a boom time, right, for what you do, which is look at the fragility of teens. And what I'm hearing from you is that the bullies need at least as much therapy as those who are bullied, which very often is the same cycle, right? You're bullied, and then you become a bully, and then you're bullied, and you become a bully. So help us drill down on... Uh, what do you do as a parent right now? What do, what do you do as a parent? So I think one of the things that we've talked a lot about over the last year or two is that we really need to start to change the conversations at home about emotional health. Like we as parents feel very comfortable talking to our kids about like the importance of brushing our teeth and why deep leafy green vegetables are really good for us. And we need to start to have everyday conversations about emotional health and not wait until there's a crisis, but to incorporate that as part of your your everyday conversations with your kids, for you as an adult to role model when you've had a bad day, how you go about addressing it, and to really allow for kids to have the space to talk about things that that are uncomfortable for them. Oftentimes with teenagers, we'll oftentimes hear like, I don't want to talk to my mom or dad because they're just going to try to fix it, and I don't want them to fix it. I just want them to listen to me, and I think we need to create that space at home to really Feel comfortable to talk. To, let our kids talk to us about their emotional health. Be okay with maybe not having the answer to everything and allowing them the space to talk about things that are going on for them. Okay, so that's really interesting. And what what ages are you talking about for that? Over 14, 15, no, 16? I think, no, I think even much younger than that are four, five, six-year-olds. We can start having conversations about emotional health. We can start linking feelings to behaviors and moods. From a very early age, and I think the more that we give kids a language to talk about, you know, the tummies that are rumbling or the butterflies in the tummy or, you know, when mommy, you know, has to do something on Monday, you know, her head starts hurting. I think those are conversations we can start having very young with our kids. So give us some language, and I'll tell you why. I I just uh, interviewed not too long ago one of the premier child psychologists in the country. He was uh, making a talk in Stanford at the Learning Center, Dr. Michael Thompson. And one of the things that he that really hit home with me, he emphasized, is that parents should not be interrogating their kids at the end of the day. What did you do today? Mm-hmm. Who did you talk to? Um, who? Are you, what's happening with your friends? That we need children, we need to allow children space to have their interior life with their peers. Mm-hmm. We need to allow them to... Um, not feel like they have to report everything to to us. And and mm-hmm. a little bit of what you're saying and echoing it, which is to say we as parents are not always the people to make everything right. We can't right. always solve their problems, um, but we also have to be perceived, I guess, in a way um, in which they can talk to us, but they don't have to talk to us. That was sort of, he was looking at that kind of a balance where dinner table mm-hmm. shouldn't be a recitation for every kid of what did you do today? And I thought that was interesting. Yeah, and I know some families tackle this in different ways where, like, they don't want to be the interrogator and be like, tell me who you talked to, what did you go on and do on social media, all that stuff. But I know some families do use the dinner time as a method for starting these conversations with their kids. Like, some of them do, like, what was the good of the day, the not so good of the day, and that's really for everybody at the table, just to start to have those conversations 
you know, and other parents choose to take special time, like they'll go for a walk or um, they'll do coloring with their younger kids just to have opportunities for their kids to be able to talk freely. What are some of the openers? In other words, what are some of the ways as a psychologist, help us, give us, give us specific language. Let's say we have a teenager and she's struggling. We're talking a lot about girls and she Mm -hmm. is struggling. We can tell that she's struggling. She's otherwise healthy, but she's struggling. Mm -hmm. She's, um, maybe she's depressed and she doesn't know why, or she's particularly sensitive to what's going on with her uh, other schoolmates. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. What's the good language? Well, so the good language is going to vary for every child. And, and you know, fundamentally, you know your child the best. For some, it's kind of starting it. Um, you know, reflecting on maybe something that you saw on the news, like, hey, I was on the news and they were talking about this. What do you think about that? Or, you know, keeping it away from them so that the child can kind of take it at whatever level they want to. And for some other kids, it's that recognition that maybe you as a parent are not going to be the one that can have that conversation with them and just offering like, you know, if at any time you want to talk to somebody, we can get you connected to the school counselor or, um, you know, a counselor within the community and really kind of keeping it open like that. And then I think for other parents, it may work for, for their child just to say, like, hey, you know what? I've noticed this about you. Do you want to talk about it? And I'm just here to listen and see where that takes you as well. I've noticed this. Okay. Dr. Santos, do you have kids of your own? I do not. Well, I'm going to tell you something in case you haven't been told this. A lot of our kids, by the time they're teens, are very skeptical of sitting down with a therapist. They might, have had a, they might have had a therapist earlier in their life, and just because you have one doesn't mean it's going to gel. Right. And they're reluctant to step back into that waiting pool. I can tell you mm-hmm. that I think it's the vast majority of kids who are very jaded and roll their eyes a lot at the idea of thought, talk therapy. I mean, maybe that's a surprise to you because you're in pediatrics, but I'm going to tell you with older kids and having been through this a lot, that by the time a lot of these kids are 20 and 21, they're sort of over it. It's a sad thing, mm-hmm. by the way. I'm not saying it's a good thing. Yeah. And I think one of the things that oftentimes happens with our kids, particularly when they start in therapy at a younger age, is that oftentimes it doesn't seem like it's their space. It's really something that their mom or their dad has dragged them to or their mom and dad are going to find out everything that they say in there. And I think That's part of the task for us as therapists, as we're working with kids, particularly as they transition to adolescence and particularly into young adulthood, is the recognition of what's their space and what stays in that room. Um, because oftentimes, why would you want to talk to a stranger about your feelings, A, in general, but then B, if you think everything's going to go back to mom and dad? Yeah, that's a very good point. 203-333-9422. And I have, for the record, seen enormous benefits for kids. So I'm a probate judge in my other life, Dr. Santos, mm-hmm. and I regularly prescribe therapy 
in mm-hmm. my children's matters. I literally prescribe it. In other words, if they don't do it, then they don't get what they want from the court. And mm-hmm. I have seen where uh, the impact of a long-term relationship with a consistent therapist has yeah. had an enormous positive, positive impact on the family dynamic and the individual child. So don't mistake what I'm saying about me personally, but I do think a lot of it has to do with consistency. I really do. A lot of it has to do I, with that particular bond. Yeah, I agree. And I think also finding the right kind of therapy for your child, which is sometimes really hard for a parent to navigate, but thinking about art therapy or therapy that involves animals. We have a great um, horse therapy programs here in the state of Connecticut. Um, you know, some kids would do better with a one-on-one kind of talk therapy sort of thing. So I think it's also about connecting to what is your child's interest and how do they best relate to others and process things. And is there a way of doing therapy in that way? And how would you find out those resources? So it's a great question. So we know that, you know, fortunately, we're here in the state of Connecticut. We can use the 211 system to access some of those services. They have information online as well. Um, As well as going to your pediatricians, they oftentimes have a lot of information about local resources where you live um, to be able to provide you some of that information. So art therapy. So you're saying that there are therapists that basically specialize in having you communicate via art and then taking the art as an expression and then having a conversation as a jumping off point from the art. Is that or is it the doing of the art that is the therapy? So it's a little bit of both. But think about, you know, not for all kids is the ability to communicate verbally their strength or how they're really going to communicate what's happening in their internal world, which is what we want them to do. And sometimes we need that space of a different way of communicating that. And that's where sometimes um, art can be very helpful. You know, I also think the creative process is very helpful. Mm -hmm. Because I'm thinking about myself and the way I coped with stress growing up. I had an art class every week and Mm -hmm. that became a haven for me. It did. Yeah. Yep. And for other kids, it may be through sports or getting connected to you know, somebody that can help them and get them out of the out of a room and get them active and get them moving. There's all kinds of ways that we can take care of emo- kids' emotional health um, and starting early and starting to get kids connected to things that help them, be it art, be it sports, be it hiking, whatever that is, so that they can always go back to relying on that when things get tough. Do you think that... Um... Do you think that we're chatting with Dr. Melissa Santos, 203-333-9422. Do you think that there are messages culturally that we should be giving our younger people now that we're not giving them that will make them stronger and more resilient? And I was, I opened the show a little bit with the sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never harm me, which was one of the, what's one of the things that I was taught as a kid to say to myself when I was going to be bullied, which is part of growing up. I mean, kids are going to make mm-hmm. fun of you. No matter what it is, right. you're going to have somebody make fun of you for something. And the other, right. one was Ele- the other one was Eleanor Roosevelt's, nobody can make you feel inferior without your consent, which was my father's mantra to me and my sister. He used to say that to us all the time. You have to give people the power to make you feel lousy about yourselves. Don't you do it. But do you mm-hmm. think that we have failed a generation of kids somewhat, that we have so many kids who are so fragile? I think we have failed, not just kids, but I think today's adults as well, when it comes to talking about emotional health, right? Because for a long time, we don't talk, like who, who screams from the rooftops that they have a mental health disorder 
or that they go to a therapist or see a psychiatrist. That's oftentimes been something that we as society and culturally have shown to be something that's bad, that's stigma, that's something you're not, you shouldn't be proud of, that shows you're weak, that shows there's something wrong with you, you're messed up in the head, kind of all that stuff, rather than thinking about how we take care of a whole child or a whole person and understanding that our physical health, our emotional health, that's all connected and you can't separate that out. And just like there's no problems with saying, like, I have a headache, people should feel as comfortable to say, like, you know what, today's not my day. Like, I'm just on edge. I'm a little worried. Tomorrow will be a better day, just like I may say for a headache. And I think the fact that we, for years and generations, have never normalized that conversation about emotional health is where we consistently run into problems. Well, it's interesting. First of all, I think we do, for the very first time, have mental health days that our kids are allowed to take and that count as sick days. So that's a good thing. But I also think maybe we have to normalize, you know, when we talk about being depressed or depression, there's very severe depression and then there's sort of normal depression, right? Mm -hmm. There's a big big range. Right. And I think sometimes we use our words to mean a lot of things. People that will say, oh, I'm so OCD when they just, you know, like to have a clean home or things like that. So I do think we have to be mindful, right, of our language. Um, But I do think the more that we can normalize those conversations and understand that that is just part of our well-being. Um, And I love the fact that some schools oftentimes led by kids have initiated those mental health days. Yeah, that's what this was. And also, and in this particular article that I was referencing earlier, it's about how the kids in this Hartford school have been appointed to lead the way as leaders for better mental health among their peers, which I thought was very, very cool. Um, Dr. Melissa Santos, let's talk about the elephant in the room, which is access to mental health. It's expensive. A lot of our practitioners say that they don't take insurance. I don't know Mm -hmm. how they get away with that in the way that they do. I find it to be shocking, but they do. Um, what What can we do to make that better? Because that's really where the rubber meets the road. People, even if they know they need help, they can't get it. Yeah, it's tough. And I I will say, I think, you know, there's a lot of barriers that have gone into where we are with the mental health field from our levels of reimbursement and how much people can afford to be a therapist and and take insurance and just be paid off reimbursement and different things like that. And I do think it's where if we started to talk about emotional health earlier and got kids into the resources or programs that might help them early on so they have those um, skills, then we fall less into the idea that we need to have crisis services all the time. And then those crisis services can be used by people that truly have it. When in doubt, your pediatrician or your school are always going to have the best resources for what's available in your area. Um, and then oftentimes our websites like the 211, even here at Connecticut Children's, we have information on how you can access services in your, in your area. But it is tough um, to get them, and that's just something that we're continuing to work on. I know there's been a lot of movement here in the state of Connecticut to try to enhance the behavioral health workforce. Yeah, and, and I'll just close with that because we can talk all we want, blah, 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 as talking heads about the need to normalize asking for help. But if you actually ask for help and you can't find it, it's doubly frustrating. It's terrible. Correct. Yeah, Correct. it is. Yeah. And I really think that's really what we have to do is we have to connect the dots for people. Uh, Dr. Melissa Santos, thank you very much for coming on Connecticut Children's Specialty Group and the Division Head of Pediatric Psychology. Thank you very much for coming on the show today. Thank you so much. Have a great day. Thank you. We'll be right back with more of the Lisa Wexler Show. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. 
Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm lip fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com. Thank you for listening. If you like what you heard, please share it with your friends. And as always, feel free to contact me at lisa at lisawexler.com. 